0: And I certainly hope, as I'm sure many of you do hope, that when eventually there is an investigation about the crisis and how it's been handled, and those who have been responsible for handling it, there will be hard questions made. And indeed, as Christians and as the church, we should be in the forefront of asking hard questions. Because you see, at the very foundation of our faith, as we're reading this morning, is a God who asks Hard questions, who gets into the meat of the matter, who isn't put off or isn't thwarted by talk, blarney, pretense, show, but sees right into the root of issues. And Christians, and especially Christians who are able and involved in leadership, should be at the forefront of asking hard questions and demanding. Yes, that there might be answers, however difficult those answers might be, and not put off by the bling of words. There are serious issues in our society, not just to do with this, but many other issues. And we need to ask, what really is going on? Because that, as I say, is the God that we know in Jesus Christ. Just look at the verses we've been reading. Chapter 2. Just look at the questions that God asks. In fact, the whole chapter, uh, you know, asks. Um, But I'll read chapter 2. In the second year of King Darius, the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shelte, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left? Who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you to be like nothing? And again, in the verses we read earlier in the service, on the 24th day of the ninth month, verse 10, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says ask the priests. What the Lord says, if someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest answered, no. And then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied. God demands answers. God asks awkward questions. He wants to get to the root of the matter. He wants to expose what really is going on in order that it may be dealt with and put right. And that's the challenge as we've looked at this little prophecy in the Old Testament. That was the challenge. We've seen the context. The context is that a remnant of Israel has returned to the land of Judah. They arrived, they settled down, and the foundations of the temple were laid. We've mentioned that in the last couple of weeks. And then after the foundations were laid, everything stopped for very valid reasons, perhaps at the very beginning of chapter one. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, verse two, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house and you can imagine the various reasons that were given well we're busy at work we've got our homes to repair we've got our children to educate we've got our elderly to care for there was a whole host of very valid reasons as to why the rest of the temple had not been built and then there were the other reasons well people won't like it there's been complaints there's been issues raised they might stop us I don't want to stick out. We've had enough trouble in the past. Let's just keep our heads down and get on with our own lives. And all of these reasons, and many more, would be aired. We don't hear that. It's a bit like a minute of a meeting. There was a lively discussion or an in-depth discussion. That quite often means there was a bit of a barney or it went on for an hour. We don't hear what went on, but that would be the story. The people would be expressing their frustration, their concerns, their issues. And God sees all of that. And it's not actually because he wasn't caring about their family, wasn't caring about their old folk or their children or anything else. But as we see from the verses we read just a few minutes ago from the latter part of chapter two, his concern was that they would get their priorities right. That's one of the issues, I think, that we all need to ask about the priorities of our NHS, of our health services, and a whole host of other things. What is our priorities? And for the people of Israel, the priority surely should have been that, yes, as they gathered together, and yes, as they got a roof over their head and everything else, their priority was for the temple to be built. The Lord, yes, inhabits everywhere, but he inhabited his temple. That's why he says in verse 18 of chapter two, 2, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. And then another question, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. He's asking a question that searching. There's getting people to stop and think, to look at the real issues, to look behind what appearances may suggest, and to consider what that means. And The real issue, of course, was that they were struggling. There was barely enough food to eat. There wasn't the harvest that they were hoping for ironically as they spent so much time looking after themselves they became even more vulnerable to their enemies and to the the problems of life and let's be honest they didn't have well I was going to say a Tesco but Tesco's are struggling with empty shelves and all the rest of it but you know what I mean they didn't have Tesco's they didn't have all the network of support that we have and so if they didn't get the harvest from the ground well But ironically, as they cared about these things more than they did about the Lord's temple, far from getting better, things only got worse. And there's issues there about our own country, and the application of that to our wider society that, as Christians, we need to think about. Back in chapter one, give verse seven. Give therefore thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house that I may take pleasure and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought in the fields, and the mountains, on the grain, the ewe, wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. And so as the prophet ends his short ministry, he remains there to challenge them. To challenge them to do what we made reference to just a few weeks ago when we we're looking at this, the words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember those verses? Well-known verses from Matthew's gospel where Jesus challenges the people, I've looked up Matt rather than Matthew, where challenges the people to get their priorities right. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more enclosed? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life or a single cubit to your height? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, they're not even Solomon. And all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we drink? Or what shall we eat? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. and the heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And then in the same context, just minutes later on, Jesus says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Get your priorities right, Jesus says. Focus on me. Recognize that I'm the source of everything that you have, that I will care for you, that I'm with you in the midst of the challenge. Do that, and you will find there will be fruitfulness. Because, of course, that was the issue. There wasn't fruitfulness. The seed wasn't growing. It wasn't producing apples. There was a barrenness in the land. And surely it doesn't take much for us today to ref- take that story and apply it to the state spiritual state of our nation. And the barrenness of it. And the spiritual barrenness even within the life of the church. Or at least large parts of the church. Where little fruit is being produced. Jesus, as always, has a word to say about that. Let me read to you from John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away, and whether such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will Give you. The fruitlessness, the barrenness of that infant state in Judah as they returned from exile was a testimony that they had got their priorities wrong. Not that some of these priorities as I said before weren't important but what was the most important priority and that surely is a word to the church today. I have tomato plants in the greenhouse that Colin kindly gave me, gave me. And I have watered them. And I have even fed them. And they're very, very... I cut off a lot of the extra branches. But is there a tomato on them? No. <laughs> I don't have the same green fingers as my oldest son obviously had. They look the part. There's plenty of leaves. But there's no tomatoes. So ultimately, are they any good? No. No. It might look the part, but it's not delivering the goods. Well, my friends, there's large parts of the church of Jesus Christ today within the West that might look the part. Packed congregations. You might wonder, where is that? But it does happen and a lot of activities, hundreds of activities, a lot of branches, a lot of things going on. In fact, all the time, money being spent and things happening, but is lasting fruit being born? And what is that fruit? Well, what is the fruit in that little apple? The fruit is a seed. What does that seed do? That seed is meant to perpetuate the life of an apple. That apple, that apple tree will die, but the seed plants and there's a new generation of apple trees that's the whole point built into nature god has purposed it so that there are new growth future life my friends if a church isn't doing that then it might look the part but it's a waste of time and the solemn word of jesus and the true vine says that sooner or later it will be cut off and thrown into the bin or the fire That was Judah's challenge. If you really want to be my people and know me in the way you're, some of you did in the past, if you want to be, then you will fulfill your calling. What is your calling? To be that city set upon a hill, to be that nation who live under God and whose life together, its fruitfulness in so many ways will display to the nations round about what a difference it is to worship the Lord their God and him only serve. That is the calling of God's people in Judah's day and that's our calling today, friends seek first his kingdom and the barrenness and the fruitlessness of so much christian activity worthy as it may be this group and that group demanding attention pushing their agenda thinking that's what's most important above everything else the care of the elderly the nurture of the young this that or the other all of it worthy but all of it can be a distraction of actually doing the real work from seeking first God's kingdom. And when we do that, then the promise is there will be fruit that will last. The seed is sown, and some will produce a harvest 30, 60, or 90 fold. But lastly, There was another prophecy given. The man was busy. It might have been his last day, but he was kept busy. Because a second time on the 24th day of the month, a word of the Lord came to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. Now, we could read that and think, well, what's all that about? You know? And one says we can get our head around to the fruitfulness and building the temple and all that sort of stuff. But what's all this about? Well, just to help us as we close, turn to Matthew's gospel. And this is the bit that you, you don't often read Partly because of all the difficult names. Matthew chapter 1. And verse 10. I'm even going to take it. Now, I don't, by the way, I might not pronounce all these names completely right. But if any of you say, well, I could do, I, I don't think that's the case. I'll say, right, you come up, you try. Okay, but we'll pick up from verse 10. This is the descendants. It tells us at the beginning of chapter one, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and begins with Abraham, okay? And then verse 10, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of, and some versions have Jeconiah, other ones have Jehoiakim, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And then verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jehoiakim was the father of Shelter, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abahud, and so on. Do you see the name? Zerubbabel. Who's this man who's the governor of Judah? Who's this man at the end of the book of Haggai that gets that word of promise that I will take you and I will make you like my signet ring for I have chosen you? He is the grandson of the last king of Judah. And who were the kings of Judah? Well, there was a right mixed bag. We know some of them, even the ones I mentioned there, Manasseh and Amon were pretty bad guys. But there was guys like Josiah. But more importantly, who were they from? Well, they were from the house and line of David. And who's Zerubbabel? He's of that house and line of David and Zerubbabel's relatives and I'm not going to mention them all right down to verse 16 and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary and Mary was the mother of Jesus who's called the Messiah where did Joseph go at the time of the census to Bethlehem why did he go for the census because that's where the house and the line of David what was the promise given to David and to Solomon that there'd be one born of the house and line of David who would sit on that throne forever Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of David. That is the purposes of God. Now I can tell you, probably Sarah Babel, who was going about his work, didn't know half of that, any of that perhaps. He knew who he was in terms of his line. He had a big issue in hand. He had the city to rebuild. And yet God says, I will be with you because I have plans for you. Plans that you cannot even begin to imagine. A God who can do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine can take a life and use it powerfully in his purposes. And my friends, as we close, that's the great encouragement to be fruitful. The story is told of the shoemaker back in the 1870s who lived in New York, who struggled to provide for his wife and kids, but was a fervent believer and ran, along with others, a Sunday school in a wee mission hall in the back streets of a rather dirty and smelly and violent, what's different, New York. And there was a wee lad in the Sunday school, a ruffian, urchin as they called him in those days, but they, that wee lad used to sit and listen to the stories of Jesus and became a follower of Jesus and, all, and gave his life to seek first the kingdom of God. And he became an evangelist. Not a well known evangelist. A bit of a backwoodsman went round the, the states of America preaching in huts and barns and tents. But one day in the 1930s, the late 1930s, a young man, a young lad walked in. And although he'd been brought up in a church, he didn't really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he held this guy who by now was certainly in his latter years, who didn't have education, who had come from a very humble background, who'd been that wee urchin sitting in that mission hall back in the 1870s, but that man loved Jesus and preached him and proclaimed. And the young lad who heard him and that night who became a Christian was Billy We do not know, friends, how in the purposes of God we might be used in his good time to raise up whatever the 21st century require, a version, a new version of a Billy Graham. Fruit that will last, that will endure and will provide a bounty. That mustard tree that Jesus speaks about in his parables, where the birds will flock to and find nurture and rest and nourishment in, that is the project that God is calling us to be a part of, even in this little church in a bit of a backwater called Addison. God only knows in his sovereign purposes what his plans are, but he does do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine. And that wee word of encouragement, that picture on the fridge of the young lad that you, or the young girl that you pray for, that invitation given in the street, that example that you set before your colleagues at work, that time you spend with somebody who's in need, God owns that and uses that to overthrow the power of nations, to destroy the pomp and circumstance of our world, to show up the fallacy of so much that we hear from so many who appear to be in the know but know nothing. God uses that for his kingdom purposes. And that ultimately is all that matters. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, our Father, for your faithfulness to us as a congregation in past days and for the fruit born in this place over many years, dear folks sitting here, others who have gone on from this church to serve you, to walk with you in a whole range of different areas in life, we thank you for that. You have been good and have preserved us for your purposes but we would not rest on our laurels. We would not become complacent in well-doing. We would not be distracted by the demands and fears and worries of life. But this morning, with renewed faithfulness, we would consider the issues and we would say, Lord, take me. Take us. And continue to use us for your kingdom purposes, we pray. Take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. For Jesus' sake, amen.